Welcome to the Climate Action Show. My name is Carly Dover and we would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, upon whose land we are broadcasting here at Radio 3CR, and the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, where we can be heard at Radio Skid Row in Sydney. On the Climate Action Show, we talk about what's hot and what's not with climate change. Please share the show if you like what you hear, and remember there can be no climate justice without First Nations justice. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Climate Action Show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, hosted and syndicated around Australia on the podcast network and on the dashboard at 3cr.org.au. Make sure to share the show if you like what you hear. My guest today is Grant Miles, owner and founder of Cheaper by Miles, a store that aims to fight food wastage and is very climate conscious. Grant, how are you going today? I'm great. Thanks, Carly. Yes. Uh, thanks so much for having me. No worries. Um, so I came to know Cheaper Bar Miles um, maybe four years ago, but um, I'm sure you existed long before then. So please, if you don't mind, tell the listeners a bit about yourself and the Cheaper Bar Miles history. Oh, sure. Um, well, we're a unique business that we sell uh, products which may be close to or even past the best before date. We've We've been in business for over 25 years now. We first opened in Footscray in 1995, three stores. Uh, we also have one in Flemington and the newest one is in Brunswick with six months or so. So we buy and sell products uh, from manufacturers, distributors and other retailers that um, may normally be dumped or sent to landfill. Uh, usually it's because of the date. Uh, it'd be either close to date or, as I mentioned, uh, might be slightly past the date. Um, so we feel that we, uh, you know, fill a, a little niche in the market where uh, um, we're very proud that we uh, save these products from going to landfill and same time, very discounted prices to customers. Um, and... Um, it's been very successful and only getting busier. Oh, yeah. I know that whenever I swing by, I always go in for maybe one thing that I've seen on social media and I walk out with a literally three bags, Good. you know, <laughs> for about dollars <laughs> So what, you know, in the, how did you come to start Cheaper My Miles? What was your personal story and your connection to food wastage and preventing it? Um, well, I started in a, working in a grocery store when I was a teenager, about uh, 17 or 18, and um uh, it was became fairly quickly, even at such a young age, that uh, uh, there was a lot of stock getting thrown out both by the business that I was working for at the time, the supermarket, and also by uh, suppliers, manufacturers who were, you know, offering stock that was discounted because it was close to date. So I sort of, I did a little bit in that space working for another business for a few years and... Um, uh, but that business was focused, you know, it was a traditional sort of grocery store. So after um, uh, probably about six years, I decided to open my bis- my own business and just focus on on uh, things like close to date. Um, so that that's all we sell. We we sell lots. So we get a product in a certain quantity, which might be something like a hundred boxes, and when they're gone, they're gone. So we we don't have any products where we just bring up the supply boxes. Sort of part of the fun of the business uh, from a customer's point of view, I think, in a way that, um, you know, you never know what you're going to find when you come in every day. Um, 
I mean, of course, some people would, you know, like to have more of the same products because they're often very popular, but uh, that's really not the focus of our Mm. It's incredible, isn't it, the amount of food wastage that occurs with perfectly fine, edible food. What do you Mm. think that's about? Uh, Look, there's, I mean, yeah, food waste is just a huge issue uh, all over the world. Uh, 6% of all greenhouse gas emissions come from food waste. Put it in perspective, that's three times the aviation industry worldwide. That's crazy. And, um, you know, I, I've always considered that trying to reduce or even end food waste should be one of those low-hanging fruits, you know, a bit like the electricity industry should be the low-hanging fruit. I mean, I know we've had terrible problems in the country, which are, it's in that category, you know, that it can be fairly easily fixed. And there are some countries that are doing things towards that, for example, France has made it illegal to for supermarkets to dump food, compost it, or use it for um, stock feed. So, uh, but I think the real problem in Australia, in particular, is um, our date system, our use by and best before dating system, is just years and years due for a massive overhaul. Yeah, well, it's. Um, I mean, we ha- we have. Uh, Two types of dates in Australia. That's probably the best way to start. There's a best before date and a use by date. So something used by with a use by date on it would be something very perishable, like a you know a bottle of milk or most products have best before date on them. Uh, and products with a best before uh, can be uh, sold and eaten after the date. That's purely a guide. Um, those. Those two date systems don't really suit uh, the modern world. I mean, and they certainly don't help in the in the fight against food waste. Mm. Um, a lot, a lot of a lot of consumers don't know that um, if a product in Australia, if a product has a life of more than two years, it actually doesn't have to have a date on it at all. Ah, oh. um, so. And that's generally things like, you know, canned foods and jars of pickles and et cetera. There mm. is no need for a manufacturer to put a date on those products at all. Interesting. But they do. They do it to encourage turnover, both from the retailer's point of view. They want the retailer to clear it out, mm. clear it out, so the retailer will buy more. And the consumer, they want the consumer, manufacturer, mm. the consumer comes some goes into the pantry, reads that date and said, oh, this is out of date and throws it in the bin. And then mm. has- Such a shame. And it, I, that blows my mind as well. I certainly didn't know that. So thank you for sharing that with everyone. Um, you know, I just kind of came across, um, I think, not trusting the use by or best before dates for some of the um, non-perishable stuff because, you know, if it's sitting in the back of your, you know, pantry or whatever, it, it's still yeah. fine. And then I thought, well, you know, I, d- I didn't really understand it. Is yeah. there a bit of a push to have the date system reviewed? Um, well, not really. I know that Choice Magazine's been doing uh, a lot of work on labelling laws more broadly um, mm. to uh, get more information on labels regarding uh, product ingredients, etc. but not specifically on dates that I know of. I'm not aware of any. Um, there are certainly um, organisations that are, you know, 
have campaign, campaigns going to reduce food waste, but they're not tackling it from the uh, manufacturer's end. It's, it's that old chestnut of I think they're really pushing it up, the responsibility onto consumers. Um, mm. And probably most of it should be with the manufacturers. I mean, one of the things that they could do uh, is uh, make it a regulation that uh, a production date is put on the product as well. Um, and, and that helps would help the consumer to make up their own mind, you know, that if they find something in the cupboard that's uh, 12 months old and still looks and tastes okay, you know, they might decide, okay, I'll still eat that if it's, you know, five years old. Um, but they wouldn't know because of the date or, um, you know, they, they might decide to throw it in the bin. That's really interesting and I really like how you do kind of point to that um, that really kind of almost lazy business, um, you know, spirit of, as you said, blaming the consumer when ideally it would be businesses and organisations making things easier to participate in society the way that, um, you know, people do need. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, some of the, um, the uh, incongruous use of dates are things like, um, for example, you might go in the supermarket and you'll see a piece of cheese or various cheeses uh, from different manufacturers, uh, and I'm thinking like soft cheeses like Camembert and Breeze, and you'll see exactly the same product from one manufacturer will have a use-by date on it and another manufacturer will have a best-before date on it. So there's no, there's no real... Uh, you know, strict laws to uh, ensure that manufacturers put the date uh, that is suitable to that food on it. I mean, I've had uh, uh, someone who asked uh, not to be named, a major cheese manufacturer here in Melbourne, say that a piece of brie cheese should actually have best after a certain date. Right. Sure. So the date... But they have to comply with the with the you know the regulations, obviously. Um, so it's not only the uh, you know the manufacturers who are sort of uh, not not fulfilling their role. I think it's also the the dates, the date laws, the regulations. They really need to be updated. Yeah, for sure. So I guess um, with all the knowledge that you have, what else do you think is important for consumers to know when, you know, they might be either shopping or also trying to minimise their own participation in unnecessary food waste? Well, look, we've spent 25 years trying to uh, educate our customers that the best before date, it it really is a guide, Um, you know, but there are still, uh, you know, probably the vast bulk of consumers out there will just simply look at a date see that it's best before yesterday and throw it straight in the bin. Um, it, it's just, you know, it's really bad for the environment. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it really, I think it really needs a, a huge education campaign to make sure the consumer knows exactly what the dates mean on the, um, on the products. Absolutely. And just so that people who might not have ever been able to have the pleasure of going to Tifa Bar Miles yet, where are going to your locations? Oh, we're in uh, 160 Barclay Street, Footscray, 325 Racecourse, Lexington, 109. Amazing. Is there anything else that you'd like to say or mention? Um, well, no, I don't think so, Carly. I think that, uh, you know, just things like this will sort of help to uh, educate people. Um, you know, there are people uh, much more reach than I do and much more money, of course. 
work towards solving this problem because it really has. Mm. You're doing an amazing thing. And, you know, I will say that Cheaper Miles is one of my favorite shops. So I highly encourage listeners to go. You will be shocked and elated at what you find and you'll be quickly addicted. Plus, the um, social media captions are phenomenal. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, we were talking to Grant Miles, owner and operator of Cheaper Bar Miles, um, a grocery store chain trying to fight incredible food waste. Thank you so much for your time today, Grant. Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure.
one of Melbourne's other institutions, Wrap Down Records, was in conversation with me about a bit of advocacy about the jail terms and fines for protesting of logging the native forests here in Victoria. Joel reached out to me to share his petition to go to the Andrews government. I'm going to read this out on behalf of Joel. Dear Premier Andrews, I am writing to express my utter dismay at the Victorian government's proposal for jail terms and $21,000 fines for protesting the logging of our native forests. To log these unique habitats and destroy the carbon-dense storage systems and complex ecological benefits they provide is an act of pure vandalism without a thought to our planet's long-term future. I am aghast. I think of all the threatened species this will impact many in already precarious situations from bushfires and other climate change impacts. They do not vote, but they need a voice, and this voice of protest is valid, and to position it as illegal is an abolition of ethical considerations and the victory of profit over sustainability of the most egregious type. How shameful. Are these forests not part of our collective heritage? Most importantly for the first people of this nation, are they not crucial to our water catchments? That should be the first consideration, not the value of some logging company ascribes to them as chipboard or whatever disposable material these beautiful trees will be reduced to. Hopefully so many people protest this that you couldn't find and lock them off all if you even tried. Imagine the disruptive energy of the anti-lockdown movement but targeted against something with a real scientific basis. You can't protest a virus, but you can protest wanton ecological destruction. Regards. So please make sure that you go on the Wrath Down Records Twitter if you are so moved. Sign, share, make some noise because the forests need protection and we need our forests. As always, in solidarity, catch you next week.
My next guest is Belinda Noble, the founder of Comms Declare about fossil ad ban. Hi, Belinda. Thank you for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you. Firstly, can you please tell us a bit about Comms Declare and also fossil ad ban? Yeah, well, Comms Declare started um, just over two years ago um, in, in recognition of the role that the marketing and PR and media worlds have um, played in the climate emergency. So basically we aim to stop the promotion of pollution um, and we've been working with ad agencies, um, talking to them about uh, greenwashing and talking to them about how really, really important it is that uh, they don't have fossil fuel clients. So we've got over sort of 330 members now and uh, we're just um, about to start um, a new campaign, Fossil Ad Ban. Um, the Fossil Ad Ban is um, aimed at getting tobacco-style restrictions on fossil fuel ads. We basically feel that working um, within the industry is not getting the um, progress that we need um, and it's not uh, getting the results that we need in terms of um, reducing the influence of the fossil fuel industry in Australia. So we're going to be campaigning for legislative action at a local, state and federal level. Amazing. What encouraged you to get involved? What is your background and your story? Yeah, well, weirdly, uh, my, my background is in journalism. Um, I worked in, in TV news for a long time and then I went into uh, public relations and worked in the not-for-profit sectors. Um, and, look, you know, when the, the black summer happens and, uh, you know, we had a government that was doing nothing and it was really um, I just decided that I needed to prioritise climate in my work and that... You know, my industry um, was complicit and needed to be called out. So um, a bunch of us started Comms Declare. I find it really um, heartbreaking and also interesting, sorry, how integral the Black Summer bushfires were in bringing, like, whipping people to attention, you know, because yeah. the same thing happened to me at a, at a different level. I was always interested, but I really kind of hit a frenetic level at that time. It was yeah, horrible. I yeah, um, um, same with um, our creative director. Um, and I, I think in the climate movement overall, um, the the trauma of the Black Summer um, coupled with the, the lack of action um, from the government um, really, I think, galvanised a, a whole bunch of people. Um, and the result of that has been the latest election result. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of us working very, very, you know, um, very, very passionately. To get climate action, um, yeah, as a result of those fires. Mm. What's the temperature of um, your colleagues in the different spaces that you've worked in? How how are they feeling about um, Comms Declare and Fossil Ad Ban? Uh, look, we, we, we are seeing a, a global movement, which is fabulous. Um, so we work with uh, groups in Europe and the States who are also pushing for restrictions on fossil fuel advertising. Um, in, in Europe at the moment, there's a, a big petition to get uh, fossil fuel ads banned in the EU. Um, and, in fact, France has already restricted um, ads for high-polluting products such as SUVs and airlines. Um, really? So it's a, yeah, it's a huge movement mm. um, and uh, just just starting here in Australia. 
That's exciting. What is what is the work involved in trying to push for legislative change about something, as you said before, so entrenched as fossil fuels in Australia? Yeah, it, it's really interesting because um, obviously there's some areas of the country where they're totally on board and there's other areas where they're not. Um, so it's hard to um, generalise. Mm. Um, the good news is that over 100 uh, councils, local government um, areas have declared a climate emergency. So we're working with those first because we think when you declare a climate emergency, you've also got to consider, um, you know, the, the public discourse in your area um, mm-hmm. and also consider your role in that. It's not just about reducing emissions. It's stopping, um, you know, the, the, the status quo um, and the power structures that um, are keeping this crisis going and, um making Australia one of the biggest per capita polluters in the world. So um, we're getting great results um, with those councils. And, in fact, Yarra Council in Victoria um, has already put a motion to their council to, um, you know, investigate the restriction of fossil fuel advertising on on council-run land. And we've got another one um, that's going to be moving soon. So, um, yeah, that's really exciting um, before we've even Mm. launched. (laughs) Oh, so you've not launched yet? No, we haven't officially launched. We're launching this month, so it's already oh, kicking exciting. off. So you're, you're, you're ahead of the game here. <laughs> <laughs> Finger on the pulse. That's exciting. Yeah, on the well, congratulations. I imagine there's been a lot of work so far to lead up to this point. Um, yeah, it has, um, but we're, we're super excited about the proper launch um, when we get the website up. And uh, we'll be asking people to take action and uh, write and contact their local governments to um, to get this ban in place in, in local government areas because um, what's happening um, already is that a, a lot of councils and obviously state and federal government as well um, do restrict um, a lot of advertising. We've seen that recently with vapes. We've seen it obviously with tobacco, with gambling. Mm. Um, all these things are restricted. And yet here we have fossil fuels um, globally. Um, people might not be aware that burning fossil fuels actually kills more people than tobacco smoking. Um, it, it's a massive health mm-hmm. problem, um, plus, you know, add the, the, the climate issues on top of that. So we think it's really important and, uh, you know, for our health and for our planet and uh, um, fossil fuel ads should be restricted the same way as tobacco, alcohol or gambling. Absolutely, they should. Does, do anyone in the fossil fuel, I guess, organisations or companies, do they know? Have there, has there been any pushback? I mean, can I ask this? I've already asked, but. <laughs> you can ask. Um, look, no, we, I mean, we, we haven't, um, I don't know if we're on their radar or not. Um, mm. You know, they're, they're extremely good at what they do um, mm. and they've been doing it for decades and, you know, um, I imagine they'll just carry on business as usual, um, you know, um, putting out their, their key messages. Um, that's their job and uh, our job is to try and stop them. Mm. For someone who has worked in media and PR for as long as you have, I guess, you know, for the average person who hasn't worked in media, who isn't as savvy, what are the key messages that the fossil fuel industry are trying to push to maintain business as usual? Yeah, good question. So um, one of the main arguments, and we've seen this um, pushed out for decades, is that we need um, fossil fuels for our economic prosperity. 
um, that's, you know, it, it, it's an interesting one because, um, you know, there, there, there was a time when that was a legitimate argument. However, now renewables are cheaper for energy generation um, and uh, obviously cleaner. So um, they're still pushing out that message, though. So one is that um, yeah, we need them for our economic security. Um, the other is um, a, a sort of a more vague um, culture wars kind of message um, that, that fossil fuels are somehow meshed in with Australian identity, somehow um, meshed in with what it means to be Australian um, at a really, mm. really high level. Um, but I think that the, the main one that we've seen um, certainly recently um, is the, the economic argument. Oh, and, yeah. and um, sorry, just um, also the um, the employment argument, which is also false. So, um, you know, the, the fossil fuels um, employ the same amount of people directly as the art sector does. Um, it's a really small employer and the economic argument um, doesn't stack up either. I mean, if you look at the gas industry, um, the gas industry actually receives more subsidies from the government than tax it pays. So, yeah. I'm really glad you touched on um, the the jobs and economic um, falsehoods that are being perpetuated for years from the fossil fuel companies because, you know, it's one of those things where you see it so often that people just start to part it and believe it or, you know, not and not really apply that critical analysis. So what does that look like um, in, as, a, as a campaign from Comms to Claire? Um, so we... Um... Look, uh, little little NGOs are, are no match for, <laughs> for these, yeah, for these companies. Yeah. Um, so look, um, that, that's why we're um, we are um, looking now more at the legislative angle because um, mm. uh, we figure if you deplatform them or you know um, try and stop the ways that they can deliver that message, then it will become less effective over time. Because um, you're right, the repetition is really important. Um, People, you know, if people hear things enough, they do believe it's true. Even, mm-hmm. um, you know, critically, they, if they sat down and, and thought about it, they'd realise it wasn't. It, 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 you know, it works. Um, so trying to um, restrict the ways that message can be delivered, um, we hope is uh, going to be the most effective way forward. Genius. I love it. What else would you like to do with fossil ad bans? So we're tackling, you know, local government and councils and trying to stop the social licence. What else would you like to do with fossil ad ban and Commons Declare in general? Yeah, so fossil ad ban, um, we're going to start with councils, but we will um, be moving to state and federal level as well, uh, asking for those tobacco-style bans on, on fossil fuel um products and companies um the other thing i guess that's really important is sponsorships so um mm. oil and gas companies sponsor a lot of cultural and sporting groups and art groups um that's a, a really important um marketing tactic um to gain uh, social acceptance so um, we'll be we'll be campaigning against that as well um along with um a couple of partners very exciting. When you do launch, what is the launch date? It's the uh, second week of July. Beautiful. <laughs> Once you launch, how can people get involved? 
Yeah, we've got to fossiladband.org um, and sign up. We can also go to uh, comsdeclare.org now and uh, put your name down um, uh, to be on our uh, mailing list to keep in touch with the, with the campaign. And, uh, look, don't need to wait for us to launch. Just um, write to your, your local MP or your local mm-hmm. councillor and say, look, you know, um, you know, fossil fuels are damaging our, our health and our climate. Um, we think you should restrict them. Absolutely. Is there anything that I haven't asked that you'd like to let listeners know? Um, I guess uh, the role of advertising is somewhat overlooked in, in the climate debate. People talk a lot about, you know, where the money's going and, and uh, reduction of emissions. But in the last IPCC report, um, they actually um, called out the role of marketing and media um, and how a number of sort of vested corporate interests had attempted to stop climate mitigation and stop climate action using um, this sort of target, targeted lobbying and doubt-inducing media strategies. So, um, you know, I just uh, guess what would like to just emphasise that uh, this is a, a real problem. Um, you know, some people call it brain pollution, <laughs> um, you know. Uh, and, uh, I love that. <laughs> and it, 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 it's something that, um, you know, the, the big greenhouse gas polluters spend, you know, tens of millions on every year. So um, it's a serious issue and one that um, needs to be tackled. Agree. Thank you so much for your time today, Belinda. I can't wait for Fossil Ad Ban to launch. Once again, everyone, we've been speaking to Belinda Noble, founder of Comms Declare, talking about Fossil Ad Ban. Thanks for your time today, Belinda. Thanks very much for your interest and I hope to speak to you after we launch as well. Absolutely.
Cause what if they happen to me?